I used to be a big girl, 232 pounds. After a breakup, I wanted to lose weight before I got back into the dating world. So I started exercising. I was too self-conscious to go for a run outside. So at first, I would just do five minutes of running back and forth in my apartment. Then I started doing Billy Blank's Tybo workouts. Remember those? After a little while, I did make my way outside and I would run a mile at a time. I kept working my way up until I actually ran a half marathon. I never thought I'd see the day that I would do a challenge like that. Finishing that race was a very proud moment for me. It feels a little shallow now to admit I just wanted to be thinner, but I'm glad I was motivated to make a change because what I didn't realize until I was really into my workout routine, all that exercise was giving me some pretty amazing mental and emotional benefits. Not only did I lose weight and feel physically better, but I honestly started to feel emotionally better. Moving my body helped alleviate my depression and anxiety. The day I started exercising, that was another turning point in my mental health journey. And it got me to start really paying attention to the mind-body connection. I'm Francis Lease, and this is Turning Points, a show about navigating mental health, sponsored by Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare and Tufts Health Plan. Today, we're going to focus on how to get the most emotional benefit from your exercise. You've all heard of the mind-body connection, and for good reason. There's a feedback loop between our minds and bodies. Exercise can help you manage your emotions. Working out regularly definitely helps me with my mood. I feel more optimistic and focused. I literally feel like I can win the day when I'm able to get a morning workout in. And exercise actually helps some people become more aware of their emotions, as you'll hear in a few minutes. Our first guest is Jeff Davis, the Boston co-captain of a group called Black Men Run. He has a story to tell about how he turned his regular workout into a healing ritual and an almost sacred time to commune with friends. It's a powerful testament to both the mind body connection and the importance of finding a community that supports you for who you really are. All right, Jeff, I'm really excited to talk to you today. So first, just tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, did you grow up in Boston? Have you always been an athlete? Yeah. Morning, Francis. I did not always grow up in Boston. I'm a transplant. I'm a Midwestern boy. If you call my phone number, you'll see that it's from Chicago. But uh, I met a girl. Uh, that girl got into school out here. And then yada, yada, house, babies, and life is here. So now I'm a Bostonian. So tell us a little bit about what Black Men Run is. What is this organization? Yeah, I will say that Black Men Run is an international organization. Over 50 chapters around the world, most of them here in the U.S. But in 2020, kind of my personal journey kind of intersected with the Black Men Run chapter of my life. 
and it's hard to separate them. So I'm just going to share the whole thing. Right. I mean, for me, you know, I'm a black African-American man in this country. And after the latest wave of like black murders, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Tony McDade, you know, I'm a parent of two small boys. Um, I got a, a milk chocolate baby and a white chocolate baby. And um, as we say in, in the black community, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I've always run. I've been a runner since high school. But my wife kind of seeing that in me, it's kind of sent me a, a race, a run for justice. It was co-sponsored by Black Man Run also about a year ago. And so I was like, super dope. I'm black. I'm a man. I run. Let, let's check this out, right? And then I was like, hey, this is a group of folks uh, and an organization I think I can get behind. It's focused on really three core things nationally, which is brotherhood, unity, and health. All things I stand for and live by. And so I said, hey, like, what's up with Boston? Like, people are running everywhere in Boston. Like, what's, what's going on? No chapter here. And so I reached out to the national group. Hey, guys, like, you sure there's no Boston chapter here? What's going on? And it's like, yep, no Boston chapter, but you can feel free to start one. <laughs> and at the time, I'm like, I, it's a pandemic out here. I got two small kids. I don't know what we're going to do with school. I don't know if I can be like starting some organization. But through some really vulnerable and open conversation with some friends, I decided that we can do this. And I think what Black Men Run has become in Boston, and for me and for, for the brothers that I run with, it's a movement. It's a movement for wellness, for health, for fitness. We talk about our mental fitness, our physical fitness, and our spiritual fitness on a regular basis. I love that. And I think that's beautiful. And I always talk about how important it is to have these spaces. I mean, I run a monthly BIPOC support group for women. Uh, so I know how these spaces matter. But some of our audience may not have a specific understanding of that. Can you let our audience know in your own words why the group component for this organization why does that matter and how much impact does it have? As a Black man, you go through this society having to play a part. Maybe that's always the provider, always having to be strong. Maybe that is this idea that you can't be emotionally vulnerable because there's some risk there. Maybe you have to speak a certain way, dress a certain way, look a certain way. My hair is too long in certain spaces. My beard hair might be a little too kinky for folks to feel comfortable, particularly non-Black folks. And so if you spend every day of your life that you can remember, I would say effectively from the age of like seven on, fitting that narrative, fitting in, trying to be seen, like truly be seen, it becomes suffocating. You don't even know where to begin to define who you are as a person. Like how you define yourself as a person is defined by someone else's narrative. You cannot actually take a full breath as a full person. And that's a part of the journey that I'm on. Continue to do the self-work and the mirror work to figure out who I am and who I want to be as a person, first and foremost. And within Black Man Run... We've had brothers share words like sanctuary. This is a spiritual space for them. They come to join in our space for their spirit and for their mental reset for the week. Can you help our listeners see and hear what it's like by telling us about the last run that you experienced? This past Saturday, so we meet every Saturday. We had about nine or 10 brothers come through 
it's like a reunion. People just start coming out of the corner, out of the streets. People pop out of cars, right? And so most of our group is vaccinated. We're really grateful and privileged for that. And so you can just imagine, you know, there's a lot of dap, there's a lot of love, there's, there's hugs, there's like elbow bumps. And as we build critical mass, uh, we just mix it up, chop it up, you know, talk about how you're doing, how you're feeling. We got some brothers who are coming back from injury, checking out, hey, how's your leg doing? You know, how are your parents feeling? Hey, you got married. Hey, you bought a house. How's that going? Your son's going to college. How's that going? And so we spend about five, 10 minutes just connecting as people, inviting new brothers into the space. And then we start to warm up. So we do some active stretches. And I kid you not, every week that we meet, someone will drive past, honk their horn or roll down a window and be like, yo, keep it up. Y'all are great. So here we are warming up. And this week, this guy, this brother pulls up, black African-American man, pulls up in his car. And he's like, y'all are amazing. I can't do what y'all do, but I would love to come join y'all. We stopped at a red light, okay? Windows down. And he's like, I got shot six times. I have challenges in my lower extremities. But y'all inspire me to come join. The moment my body is ready, I want to come join you. How often are you out here? And so it's me and some of the other brothers warming up. We all pause and turn. Brother, hey, if we can do it, you can do it. We're here at 8 o'clock on Saturdays. And just the connection we make in those few moments is priceless. And that's just a warm-up. And so as we run through the neighborhood, we're running through Black Boston intentionally. We like to run through the spaces where, uh, where our people are to be seen. But we also like to run through the spaces where we're not supposed to be seen. We are actively trying to subvert whatever social narratives that are about Black men and who you think we are. We end on, I call it Hood Heartbreak Hill, but like we come up this hill and it's, I swear the hill gets bigger every week. It's a whole thing, Francis. And now you have this little Heartbreak Hill coming up and all the mental things start to happen. If you're a runner, you know what I'm talking about. Like there's a moment as an athlete where you're just like, oh man, what are you doing? Why, why are you really out here? We could just walk. I mean, we went this far. It's hot out. Come on out. You're going to get no awards. It's, why are you doing this? And then you hear this, come on, Jeff, come on, Cat, we see you. And you and up this hill, all the brothers who cut a shorter route clapping you up. Come on, come on, you got it, you can do this. And that is the soundtrack of your finish line every week. Encouragement, love, support. And we turn around and we give it right back to the brothers who are coming in. Beautiful. You know, as you're sharing that story, I could feel like my heart just just feel so warm because what's unique about all this is the fact that you're not just giving them an opportunity to be fit because you can just go get a trainer and get fit and all that. But bridging the connection between the mind, body and spirit is what creates long lasting change. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to transition into your mental health journey. You know, when did you realize that you needed to take some time to focus on your mental health? I'll go back. As a black kid, you weren't supposed to get like mental health was for like people who have real issues, serious, like psychological break issues or like rich white folk. That that was it. If you didn't fit that line, then you just go to a church or you rub some dirt on it. And it's, it's cool, cool, cool. You're good. You're fine. Do some push up, bro. You're fine. Well, summer 2020 hits. I'm running 
And I, I just, there's a weight on my chest. There's a weight on my mind. And as a parent, I always think about how am I continuing to be a better version of myself? And part of that is trying new things. We have this employee benefit. Let me try it again. So I reach out and ask and say, I need to speak to an African-American person. I know we have black therapists out there. I need a black therapist. There are things that are specific to my experience that are aligned with some stereotypical but true things in the African-American community. And so I need that. And so I articulate that to our employee assistance program to like, no problem. We'll get back to you. We'll send you a list within the hour, Francis. This woman had come back. She said, I found two people in your area that are offering virtual services that are African-American or people of color led, owned and practicing. Amazing. And so I spoke to each of them to just kind of do my due diligence. And so I ended up going with Judy. This is about, oh my gosh, almost about a year ago now. And I haven't looked back. I love that. So what are some of the stigmas or challenges you find in getting therapy generally for Black men? Mm. Vulnerability. We're not supposed to have emotions. We're supposed to be like strong as a rock and all this other stuff. I think in order to accept a practice of therapy, you have to be willing to say, I need help. There's an acknowledgement that I have emotions as a human being. And those emotions are bigger than just, I can be angry or I can be apathetic, which typically is what is acceptable for any man in, in this society, certainly a black man. So I think the first thing is just that vulnerability and willingness to open up. The second thing is visibility. I have never met a black man in my life that openly talked about mental fitness, mental wellness, and seeing a therapist. Yeah, I mean, you said so many key points in there, and the visibility thing is so huge. We tend to keep that to ourselves. So did you share that with anybody else, and how did they respond to you doing that? I shared with everybody. I found this, like, magical oxygen mask. I'm sharing it with everybody. And I'll admit, there's a bit of fear. Uh, and so I've been met with overwhelming positive responses. And, and every time it was kind of like, man, what were you afraid of? So I'm wondering if you've ever noticed a connection between Black men run and therapy. The short answer to your question is yes. I've personally seen that connection. But this magical thing happens when you are running or working out. And you probably hear about the runner's high and things like that. That high comes from endorphins, and that's an emotional like trigger. And so my not-so-secret agenda in wanting to take on this journey as, as a leader, as a founding captain of this chapter, was those vulnerable moments. As a runner, you don't, you don't get a choice if the emotions are going to hit you. They're going to hit you. The thoughts are going to come flooding. The emotions are going to come flooding. And the, the more physical effort you put out, the more emotional output starts to explode. When you have those thoughts come flooding, when you have those emotions that are flying at you, how beautiful would it be to actually have a bunch of brothers that look like you, that love you for who you are, that are here to support you, and just hold you 
in that moment. Physically, emotionally, you name it. That ability to say, man, this hell, I can't. And then you say, no, I can't. My people are waiting for me. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. And if I'm not yet, I will be once I get there. That's mental health. And within our group, there's some brothers who are more openly talking about their mental health. Even just using the word love. We say, brother, I love you. See you next time. We openly use that word because we're not supposed to. And by doing that, that gives us power. That gives us the ability to control this narrative of who we are, who the world thinks we are. That's mental resiliency. That's mental fitness. We are actively practicing it, whether we name it or not, and we're starting to name it. And it is one of the most humbling and beautiful things I've had a, a chance to be a part of in my life. Thank you, Jeff. That was beautiful. And I wish you nothing but success with Black Men Run. I really appreciate it, Francis. Thank you so much. Just like mental health, physical fitness isn't a linear path. There are ups and downs. I know for me, the pandemic definitely derailed my exercise routine. The gym was closed. And honestly, I don't like working out at home. I did go for some occasional runs, but eventually I gained not the freshman 15, but the pandemic 30. And then on top of that, I had to have major surgery that kept me from exercising for a little while. It was hard to witness what I worked so hard to achieve pretty much go up in flames in one year. And of course, because I wasn't getting in my regular exercise, my mood wasn't receiving that good endorphin boost that it needed. And it's in times like those, our weakest moments, that what we say to ourselves is so important. Because just like what you do with your body affects your mental health, well, what happens in your mind affects your body. That's why I wanted to talk to our next guest, sports psychologist Judy Van Ralt. She's the director of the athletic counseling program at Springfield College. Dr. Van Ralt has studied the way athletes talk to themselves, both regular folks like me, as well as student athletes and pro athletes who push themselves to perform, sometimes to their own detriment. Thank you, Dr. Van Ralt, for being with us today. Can you tell us a little bit about you and what you do? Because you're in a unique area of mental health that isn't always publicly talked about or not readily known to most people. Share with us what your expertise is and the kind of population you work with. Thank you. So I work in sport and exercise psychology, and that's really a pretty broad field. But since we're talking about the mental health side today, there are people who have training in psychology and counseling that also have expertise working with teams and athletes and exercising populations. So there are some special issues related to sport and exercise. I also work with athletes and teams across the spectrum. 
I think the youngest athlete I worked with was six um, in one of those sports where you're kind of old after you hit puberty. And then also, you know, with master's athletes who are in their 60s and are involved in exercise or sport activities. And of course, uh, people in between. We all know in some shape or form that a bit of exercise does wonders for our brain and emotional health. You know, when I go out for a run, I feel really good afterwards. You know, my mood levels are up and I feel a bit energized. Could you tell us what the mental health benefits of exercising are? Your description is right on the money. There's some pretty good quality research that shows that exercise has an equivalent effect to uh, medications that people take for depression and anxiety. You're also stronger. Your body works better. Exercise is fun. And if it's not fun, then it can be more fun if you uh, find something you like to do or learn something and improve or exercise with other people. So there's a whole lot of benefits for exercise. But I also want to put in a caveat here because people talk about sport builds character but sport can also build character disorders. There's not a guarantee that any particular activity is healthy or good for you. So it's careful to pay attention to both sides of the equation. That said, there are a lot of benefits across the board. There are many that are really good for you. And that's a great segue to my next question, because we know that there are mental health risks, specifically when it comes to perfectionism in sports. So can you talk a little bit about perfectionism as it relates to athletes and how damaging it can be to an athlete's mental health when the message is being drilled into them, like do your best and play at 100% all of the time? Yeah, and I, I think in some ways you're underestimating it. We hear 110%, which is not mathematically possible. On the one hand, striving for excellence can be very motivating and exciting. And that's sometimes why we see people with perfectionistic tendencies in sport because working really hard and achieving goals and believing that you can do that is a great strength. But perfectionism can really be a weakness where you're never satisfied, where you doubt yourself, where you always feel that you are one second away from being discovered or found out and that perfectionism can be harmful. So as athletes, how can we strive for excellence? How do we push ourselves without damaging our, our mental health? I would say that when things go wrong for people, often it's because something that was a solution in the past is no longer working. So working really hard helps you get ahead of the other athletes and improve yourself. And that's a solution that worked really well for you for a time. But when that solution is no longer working, and your perfectionism is leaving you feeling miserable or contributing to a string of injuries or maybe leading you down the path of other unhealthy behaviors, then awareness of that, that this solution is not the right one, can help people begin to see other opportunities and begin to change. So keep it when it's helpful and maybe begin to let it go when it's not. So something else that I'd like to highlight is how you teach the difference between instructional self-talk versus motivational and positive self-talk. Tell us a little bit about the work you've done around self-talk. What is it and how can athletes train themselves to have that self-talk that helps them perform and feel okay about themselves? 
So we started by thinking about the self-talk, yourself as a teacher or coach telling you something. And that's where the research literature was. And then I worked with a student who was a philosophy major. And he raised some questions like, when you talk to yourself, who is talking to whom? And if you already know what you know, then why are you talking to yourself? And those types of questions really changed the way we thought about self-talk and you know, really came to see with self-talk that we have sort of quick gut feelings and reactions. You know, you win something and yay, or you lose something and you make a comment that's not safe for a podcast, that those just come right out. So that's one type of self-talk. And the other type of self-talk is the kind where we're guiding ourselves or telling ourselves to do something. So in terms of what we say to ourselves, it can be really effective to give ourselves self-instruction that can help with our performance and, and guide what we do. But it's also tiring so sometimes you tell yourself to do something. I think of an example of an athlete, hit the ball over there. Okay, next time, hit the ball over there. And so uh, we don't always follow our own directions and our energy or ability to do that kind of fades over time. And so when you get tired, that's when things fade away. And what comes out is your gut feelings that, oh no, you stink, um, yay, but also often some negative feelings. When I work with people, I sometimes ask them about that negative stuff. I think conventional wisdom is you should stop being negative and you know, do something to make that stop. I sometimes challenge people to look at that negative self-talk, that sometimes it may be telling you you're tired, you've had enough today, and maybe it's time to take a rest. Or it may be telling you your attitude stinks and you do need a change. And talking to yourself in a motivational way may be very helpful. And so I guess I would say I ask people to pay attention to both their intentionally used self-talk and that more spontaneous self-talk and see which each of them is telling you. We often, before we go for a run, we take a deep breath, we stretch, getting ourselves ready. Can you talk a little bit about what a mental warm-up is and the mental cool-down? What should they look like and how is it helpful in reducing stress? One of the things our research group noticed is that athletes and exercisers do a physical warm-up before they get ready and that prepares them and their bodies for the upcoming physical activity. And is there a way for people to get mentally ready for the activities they're doing, do a little bit of the mental stretching, like they do physical stretching, before they begin competing so that they're ready to use those mental skills. And so we created a mental warm-up. It contains a little bit of goal-setting, imagery, self-talk. It takes about five minutes uh, to do the mental warm-up and kind of run through those mental skills, and then be ready to perform and use them in practice. So a quick reflection on what are my goals today could make your exercise class better or your practice better. You're not just showing up. You're thinking a little bit about what you want to get out of it. And then 
upon reflection after exercise or after a sport competition, people do a cool down too physically to allow them to return to baseline and reduce injury down the line. And so our mental cool down involves a good, better how. What was good about what you just did? Is there something that could be better? If so, how could you make it better? And that can allow people to reflect on what happened and then maybe put it down so that they're not staying up for nights and nights thinking about the missed catch or the poor pass. They've addressed it. What was good about that day? There's always something good if you look hard enough. What could be better and how? With exercise, though, it's a little bit different because your goals for exercise are pretty much to show up next time you know, and do it again. It doesn't have to be infinitely better. For some people, they enjoy that. But for a lot of people, just coming back tomorrow is what's important. And so our mental cool down for exercise then is tailored to exercisers, really focuses on what you enjoyed about being involved in exercise. And Reflecting on what you enjoyed about something can help make it more likely that you'll come back and do it again. So our theme here is is turning points in mental health, you know, just trying to tease out the moments or things that inspired people to really commit to their mental health. In your work with athletes or maybe in your own life, do you have any stories of some kind of turning point that's similar? So I was a competitive athlete. I've also been coached at the college level, and I'm the parent of competitive athletes. So um, I have the whole spectrum. But in reflecting on your question, I had a sense of you're asking, like, you know, what's the big moment when you can make a change from where you were to where you're going? And, And my thought is that people definitely have those big moments. But more often than not, I was thinking about the pizza change. I'm going to explain that. Um, Imagine with me, if you will, that you're standing in the middle of a delicious pizza in the cheesy part at the point of a slice of pizza. And if you were to face along the right-hand side of that slice and start walking, I guess it's a giant pizza now, you would be heading along that slice towards the crust. And you could kind of see your direction and where you would come out on that pizza would be a particular point on the edge. And if you go back now to the point of the pizza again and make a very small turn, you could point yourself on the left-hand side of the slice. And if you followed that, you would come out at a very different place around the crust. So it sometimes takes just a little bit of a change of direction to make a really big change long-term in your mental health. Just becoming aware and making a small decision for change can really be all that you need to make a big difference in your life. You don't have to have a great awareness moment. You can just make a pizza change and really start to change things for the better if that's what you need. I love that. You know, with sports comes inevitable frustrations with our bodies. You know, if we get injured or we slow down, how can we remain resilient and patient with ourselves? We talked some about our self-talk and listening to that self-talk. And if that self-talk is crushing our resilience, to think about changing it. Every voice that you hear in your own mind is not necessarily true. 
I sometimes encourage people to identify where that voice is coming from, maybe say thank you and goodbye to that formerly mean coach who really drove you or that negative teacher. You can quiet those voices. You can find other support from other people. The nice thing about sport and exercise is there's always another day. So if downhill skiing is not for you, maybe running is. And if team sports is not what you like to do or it isn't a fit, then walking with friends could be. It's really inherent in exercise and sport that people come back and support each other. And if you don't have those supportive folks looking for them, maybe one way to make your experiences better. I always say every day is a new day. When you wake up, it's a second opportunity, second chance to do something different or new. You could always pivot. It's never too late. Make a pizza change. (laughs) Right, exactly. Well, thank you, Dr. Van Ralt. Now, is there something else that we didn't get to cover that you want to share with us today? Um, I think it's really exciting for people to be having a conversation about this side of sport Families, coaches, and athletes can have a more enjoyable and successful experience if we think of them as whole people and pay attention to sort of their mind, body, and spirit together. So I'm thrilled to be able to talk with you about this today. Thank you very much. Although my two guests today approached exercise and mental health from different angles, they both had great advice on nurturing that mind-body connection. For me, the biggest takeaways were listen to those negative thoughts that come up to see what they're telling you. Try to use kind words when you're talking to yourself, especially during those harder moments. Look for support, whether it's with a therapist or a group of friends. And know that nothing has to be perfect. Not you, not your body. You just need to be you. It's all advice I'm trying to take as I rebuild my own running habit. I'm up to three miles now with the goal of eventually working my way back up to another half marathon. Thanks for listening. And if you'd like to try that mental warm-up that Dr. Van Ralt mentioned, Go to supportforsport.org to listen to one before your next workout. To check out your local chapter of Black Men Run, go to blackmenrun.com and visit globe.com forward slash turning points, one word, for more information on mental health care and resources. To hear more stories of turning points, join us for our next episode. We'll talk about how our digital lives affect our mental health for better or worse. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Maria Louisa Tucker, Brian Rivers, Matt Sav, Eric Zeller, and Rachel King. And special thanks to Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare and Tufts Health Plan and the Studio B team at Boston Globe Media. Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare and Tufts Health Plan are committed to guiding and supporting members on their behavioral health journeys connecting them to the services, tools, and support they need.